Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. And we're also going to be taking lots of chat questions this week, but I'm going to first pass it over to Spartan Grown. Thanks, Jack. Uh, cheers, everybody. Cheers, chat, which I don't have up yet. I need to do that. Um, <laughs> I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word in those spaces. Or you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com and I can help you with both your synthetic and organic growing questions. Definitely don't be fooled by the pretenders out there. Those are the only places that you can find Spartan on yep, the uh, Instagram and email. You could also email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com if you're not on social media. But next up, we've got Dr. MJ. Hey guys, yeah, Dr. MJ Coco from cocoforcannabis.com. I'm happy to be back this week. I was out last week, so excited for another show and you can find me um at cocoforcannabis.com or on instagram at dr mj coco or over on my youtube channel dr mj coco happy to have you back next up matthew gates hey everyone my name is matthew gates i'm an integrated pest management specialist and i'm sure we'll have a lot of great questions in the chat about that moving forward um, if you're curious to learn more about this sort of thing i have tons of resource videos for you on my youtube channel xenthanol um, I just did a really great presentation on the uh, Future Canvas Project's FCPO2 channel about the uh, budworm moths. Um, it's a very, 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 very difficult to deal with them. So we talked about why that is and some of the things to do to treat them and mitigate them. I caught, caught a little bit of it live. Definitely going to go back and listen to the uh, whole thing start to finish. Good stuff over there. Next up, we've got Kyle Breeder. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here again. Um, yeah, I particularly specialize in feminized breeding, although I do have uh, some 1980s skunk and northern lion uh, line coming out. Basically, just an open pollination, and uh, but I'm really happy to share it because it's really, really authentic stuff in there. Um, they're just about to spray pollen probably in a few weeks, and then maybe it's probably six to eight weeks from there they'll be releasing. But uh, I also have a new seed drop that I did launch last Saturday. So if you haven't gotten any of my new stuff, uh, I have a few packs left. Uh, please feel free to go to purebreeding.com and get that. Other than that, uh, feel free to reach out. Pure, breed, pure underscore breeding on Instagram, pure underscore breeding on Twitter, pure Facebook. If any questions, and I'm happy to chat with anybody. Thanks. All righty, happy to have you back. Next up, Noah the Grower. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Grower with two E's. You can find me there on Instagram. And uh, most weeks, everybody here. So I'm ready to get into it. Happy to have you back. And last and certainly not least, the American one. Hello, Jack Panel. Everyone in chat, I'm the American one. Always good to be here. And, uh, yeah, I'm the American one on the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. If you want to check out, check me out. Um, I'm a little guy with the American top hat, so that you can find me using that too. So <laughs> good stuff. And as a reminder to everyone who's with us live on YouTube right now, if you want to see all of the comments, click on over to the live chat as opposed to top chat. There's a little drop down button. You can tap it. And then live chat pops up. You click on that and you can see all the messages because we are doing a chat Q&A tonight. So if you have questions, please tag at Cheap Home Grow or at Jack Greenstock. I've got both my uh, YouTube up on my phone and on the computer. So both of those will highlight me. If you have a question for a specific panelist and you see them in the chat, you can feel free to tag them as well. If you're trying to get their attention, we're going to get to as many and hopefully uh, 
all the questions that are asked tonight. And uh, before we do that, because I haven't seen any pop up in the chat just yet, I guess we could go around real quick and just say what we're smoking on. And uh, for me, it's some apple gelato. So Spartan, what are you smoking on tonight? Um, I'm actually still got a lot more to trim of it, <laughs> but I got uh, it's from Tiki Madman is, is the breeder. Oh, that was YouTube saying that the show's on. That's funny. Um, and the, the the strain was Cobra Milk. And um, I tr I did trim a nug of it and smoke it up uh, last night. And I'll tell you, man, it's it's like narcotic. It's pretty narcotic, sl sleepy, like muscle re relaxant kind of a thing. Um, if you mix it with Donnie Burger, bro, <laughs> I did. Uh, I I blended two together and I did Donnie Burger and this uh, Cobra Milk. And uh, I, I smoked four bowls in my bong and it felt like RSO. So I was pretty impressed. That's definitely a good uh, standard of potency there. I think RSO is probably closer to the high end of potency spectrum for a lot of people out there. Um, Tao, what are you smoking on tonight? Actually, I, uh, I'm actually still hitting the trope of Thai, but I have a piece of that blueberry cheesequake that uh, I was hitting on earlier. It's, uh, it's always good to have a couple different things floating around. Definitely. I'm really getting excited for some Velvet Punch that are about to come down here pretty soon for myself. Uh, some grape and gas, but definitely some like rotting meat in this one that wasn't as present this late in flower as they were in uh, either the F1 or F2. So curious to see if that'll come out in the cure. Doc, uh, are you indulging with us tonight? If so, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm smoking on some... Uh... Well, it's a really good strain. I can't recommend it um, because it, it herms like all the time. This is the strain that hermed on a bunch of us when we had that first grow challenge, but it's a dark ghost train haze. And uh, I grew it out uh, over the winter, um, got one that didn't herm. And it's really, it, it, it's a happy, heavy high, but um, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily recommended because most of the time people have tried growing this strain, it's hermed on them it's funny because you're not just your forum had that issue i think you said like six or seven uh, six of seven or seven of eight people yeah. who grew it cut herms and then i talked about that on a show a few weeks ago and then another grower buddha boy was like i've heard of that strain before i've heard of it and he's actually grown a lot of the uh gear from that breeder and that was the only one that they've had herm on them from that breeder so it yeah. was uh, interesting they had a similar experience so and we ended up talking to the breeder and and they recognized that it was a problem <laughs> and my big point was well then you should have told us that like you know in some way disclose that um yeah that's back when you know we were first starting this show too so um it was one of the things that that I appreciated about sort of the way Kyle was doing his genetics at the time. Yeah, that's definitely uh, important to let people know if there is that in the genetic lineage. But uh, Kyle, what are you smoking on tonight? Well, it's funny you guys bring that up because I grew out uh, ghost train haze and I kind of had the same problem. And But I did find one female that like didn't and it was really unique. I mean, the, 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 the terpenes were really cool. The yield was, uh, was really interesting too. But uh, yeah, they definitely... Uh, I never, ever ordered from them ever again, but, uh, uh I'm on that two to one life, uh, edible right now. I mean, I haven't, uh, consumed cannabis inhalation wise, uh, in a few months now, but I'm definitely like really pro two CBD to one THC edibles. And I do that for like right before work as like a Medicaid, you know, medicating. And then I do it like at lunchtime and then I do it, you know, you know, somewhere after I get home, after I shower or something like that. And, 
it's like perfect and you know and it's been such a long journey to try and find something that really just works with my endocannabinoidism right and just make it super anymore so i just kind of like ate a big chunk and i had i got way fucked too fucked up <laughs> so uh just, i guess just be careful with leaving stuff in your vehicle on a uh, in regards to edibles but uh but yeah that's 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 what i'm doing right now sounds good the other thing that i'm talking on is some oreos from uh, humboldt farms some sun-grown it's five percent terpenes some pretty good stuff it was actually bred in michigan if i'm remembering correctly but yeah i yeah, always like the oreos Oreos, and then he did pure michigan he's the same guy that did that one yeah, he's a beast. He's killing it up there. So cheers to Michigan. And uh, I definitely have a lot of respect for the cannabis I've seen coming out of there and the breeding work done there. Uh, but speaking of the uh, other end of the U.S., with the Pacific Northwest side of things, Noah, what are you smoking on tonight? Oh, I got a few different things. Um, the one that uh, I pulled out and put in my nug jug most recently, I remember looking at it, was uh, Gelato 25 crossed with Dosey Dose 55. But uh, I also got some really, really good apple fritter. It's from the, the Lumpy's Cut strain that I got. That's Animal Cookies Cross with Sour Apple, and it's uh, pretty legit. I got some, uh, some original Purple Punch. I got a few different things right this second, but uh, those are the three that I know that I have in my jar. And my, I have a mason jar, and then I have like a little nug jug that I put just to have near my bong and stuff. So Nice. I'm definitely uh, enjoying the apple gelato. It's got some of that apple fritter and it's got a little bit of that sour apple uh, flavor to it, which is quite enjoyable. I don't know what terpene or aldehyde, ester, ketone, whatever is actually bringing that flavor, but it's a uh, spot on. So very interesting that it came through in a cross like that because gelato tends to be more like floral, gassy and dominates a lot of the crosses I've seen it come up in, but enjoying that for sure. And um I'm not sure if we got to Tao or Matthew yet, but Tao, what are you smoking on tonight? Yeah, you might be smoking something. Oh, yeah, you said chocolate tie. You said chocolate tie. I do. I remember now. I'm loving on that, too. So, yeah. So, Matthew was, the I think, the final one who I haven't gotten to yet. And then maybe we'll get into some questions, but I haven't seen too many popping up. Uh, I do have a topic in case there aren't too many questions. Oh, just some... uh... I was having some triangle mints lately and actually I was up in uh, Palomar mountain um, over the weekend um, doing some work, looking at some uh, uh, dying and dead oaks and helping people sort of diagnose the, uh, the problems over there. Some of them seem to be a sort of a beetle issue. Uh, there's several ones here in California that are, that are an issue as well, but uh, we were able to try some fun stuff there as well. Even uh, smoke out of a corn cob pipe, which was a, uh, uh, very fun of course um but yeah so uh, but i had some uh some triangle mints lately that was pretty pretty nice that does sound good i'm a fan of the triangle mints um sometimes it's called wedding cake um depending on the pheno and who's growing it but um or no that might be animal mints uh it could be dripping i am a little bit stoned i guess apparently but uh we have a good question from uk sif 420 uh tau dropped it in the chat for us he says does anyone have any info on potworms? I've had some showing up in my cocoa. I guess I could pass that first to Matthew. And then I think, Tao, you could actually follow up because several shows, probably like a year ago at this point, you had a potworm incident, I believe. So uh, Matthew, you could start. 
Right. So, um, well, for first thing I always like to say when it comes to this sort of thing is like, are you sure that you have potworms? Because there are some things that they could be that look very similar to that. I know. Um, but if somebody is saying that they have potworms, it's probably because they either know what they are or they've talked to somebody who has let them know because most people don't know what they are. And they get them confused with things like fungus gnats, for example, which superficially might look sort of similar or maybe nematodes are pretty common. Um but uh, yeah, they're a different organism altogether. And um, most commonly when people encounter them, in, in my experience, uh, it's because they've seen, they've uh, planted some seeds like in soil or something and uh, they didn't germinate. And when they go to investigate, or maybe they did, but they like died very quickly afterwards and they see like a, a bundle of these uh, sort of um, thin worm-like um, bodies kind of infesting the hull of the seed. Uh, maybe there was a little bit of germination there or maybe none at all. And of course, you know, they'll, they'll ask the question like, were they there already? And um, no, they, they, weren't all, they weren't there already. They weren't like resting in the seed or anything like that. They were in the soil ambiently. And um, the, uh, the, the seed made a great host. So. so they can be a problem for like, especially like seedlings and that sort of a thing I'm trying to get across. And if you have like larger plants that are more mature, um, they're typically not as much of an issue in my experience, but I'm curious to know more about their specific one, if they have uh, uh, more information to give. So what was your experience like with the potworm situation? Um, yeah, here, I could show you guys what uh, I took video of it actually. So, <clears throat> As far as I could tell, um, and I'm pretty sure Matthew actually helped me identify that that there is a potworm because if it was a uh, fungus gnat larvae, um, it would have had a black head. And you can see clearly both on this one that the, the tips don't have any black on it at all. And so, yeah, I had, I, I put, the whole pack of seeds. So yeah, this changed my whole, well, I usually don't do the whole pack of seeds, but I had a 10 pack and I really wanted to <clears throat> try out every one of them. So I put them all in the soil and when they didn't pop up, I dug them out and this is what I found. So yeah, it was a little hard getting the microscope in the right spot. I need to get me one of those digital. It's much better than nothing. But yeah, but you can see clearly that uh, this is why they stopped growing because it looked, it does look like they germinated. You can see the, the tip coming out right there, you know? But yeah. <laughs> so that's how I found them. And then I asked around and yeah, that was part of the identification was that since it didn't have a black head, it, uh, it wouldn't have been a fungus gnat larvae. So, but that killed all my 10 seeds. So now from now on, my, my operation is going to be only eight at most. Maybe I try six. I like doing six because... I mean, uh, uh, even if, uh, if if you want to breed, you you, you know you got to make a lot more anyway. So yeah, definitely so, when you're breeding, yeah, basically, you what I like to do, if I only have a ten pack, I'm going to cross it and try and search through a ton a ton of seeds, not just ten, you know. But still, um, depending on who I what the seeds are, like if I see that's a, the thing about seeds is if you buy from someone who searched through with thousands. They've done a lot of work for you. Then you could search through those 10 and maybe find, you know, something that's what you want. But if it's um, just 
random hokey pokey, then then you could um you need to go through a lot more. But now I'm rambling. So yeah, that's my experience with the potworms. And I too thought that they had come in maybe with the seed because it was brand new pro mix. So I, I have still, a comment now that goes I don't know direct to this. It might have come from your worm bin, according to C Web. They say Yeah, but no, I, I didn't had put worm, I didn't put uh you know i just used straight up pro mix when i started those seeds i didn't i don't oh, think okay. I put any. yeah yeah because they say i had pot worms in my worm bin realized <laughs> it was way too acidic and really moist after throwing in some extra carbon in the, in this case i used shredded cardboard took a couple of weeks but it seemed better uh so that was c web's comment just in relation to the pot worms potentially being uh present oh, in yeah, the worm they- bin or a source from the worm bin I've heard that a lot too. Yeah, they're in the worm bin, I'm sure. And people, they look like baby earthworms, you know. Well, they are. They're annelids. Yeah, they look. They don't look exactly like earthworms, but they are very closely related. So, like, yeah, yeah. And I think that I think like the whole of the seed has to be like, for example, if it's like just started to split, like you're saying, that lets them like kind of get into the the flesh on the inside, but um, the meat. Yeah, exactly. The meat. <laughs> so, uh, but also I think sometimes just like the hole might soften and maybe even if you have a failure to germinate, although at that point you probably don't have a, a living plant regardless, but they'll come in that way too. But um, they can't, re- I don't think they can penetrate the hole without like some softening action. Right. Now, Matthew, so, uh, just to verify, a nematode is basically, if not all of them, almost all of them, you can't be seen with a naked eye, right? See, you can see some with the naked eye, but they're really, okay. really small, super duper small. And also it depends on how big they get. Cause like, some, cause like when they're like, when they just get out of their, um, I mean, sometimes they're, I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of nematodes, yeah, but yeah. yeah, but yeah, like a lot of, like when they're in their first stage, um, yeah, I wouldn't really count on seeing them with your naked eye. I did, I could see the, the pot worms with my naked eye, you know, I just put them on the microscope to get, you know, to see them better. And I had them once before, actually, and I thought they were gall nematode, but I don't think oh, that's yeah. what they are. Yeah. I have a related question that could be answered quickly that is kind of perfect for this conversation. It was just asked as well. Uh, collective Mary Jane says, what is a good, easy to use microscope to look at trichomes on my plants or insects like this for IPM? I'll throw mine out there first and then I'll pass it to Matthew because I know he has a good recommendation as well. But just the jeweler's loops, anywhere from like uh, 40 to 60 power um, that they use to like look at currency under. Uh, you can find them cheap on Amazon, like 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 bucks. And they have a little LED on there. Uh, I've had good luck with those more so than some of the higher powered stuff, uh, like hundred X. I find it's a little bit more difficult once you get into the higher magnifications, but I'd love to hear Matthew and maybe anybody else's thoughts. Uh, was it first? I'm sorry. I didn't test the first part of that. Was that easy to use microscope, easy to use microscope to look at trichomes on my plants or insects like this for IPM. Oh, okay. Well, I would say, I mean, the, if you can get a like a, a USB microscope, there are some that are like, for example, a lot of people are familiar with the DynaLite, the DynaLite models. Um, I've used them; they work well. Um, there's different sets of models, and you can get some that are like not of that brand that can still work really well. You can also get something like a um, uh, even just like a magnifying lens or a jeweler's loop, like you mentioned. And I would say like 
a lot of times you can even get them as swag from like biocontrol companies or something. And they might be anywhere between 10 to like 25 magnification, which is pretty helpful, I would say, for those two criteria. But also, if you want, I would say something that even goes as much as like 50 could be kind of nice to see some of those really small ones. Um, especially that's going to be contextual based on, you know, your own visual prowess and that kind of a thing. Um, and it just this reminds me, but like, uh, I often hear it said that people can't see like russet mites without um, aided vision with like a magnifying lens or something, but that's not true, at least for me. And I have uh, 20-20 vision myself. So, uh, but it's like, it's not like you're going to see them very well like at a glance, you know, like if somebody says, Hey, I think these are russet mites. And then you like, you know, pause and intently look at this one space, then you can kind of see some movement and that sort of a thing, but you can't see them in great detail. So um, just in Might case anyone, say, there's a bug, yeah. not like that's exactly a russet mite unless you have extremely good eyes, maybe. My yeah, yeah. Here on using microscopes. I mean, the, the, if you're going to hold something up to your plant while it's growing in the tent or wherever it is, um, yeah, you're probably like, you know, 40, 60 times magnification is going to be as much as you could possibly do because, you know, it's hard to keep your hand still and it's hard yeah. to keep the plant still and everything's just going to be moving around so much. It's a pain in the ass. Um, so if you want to go to a higher magnification, which, you know, I like to see things under a higher magnification, but I, I cut little things off of the plant, like take a leaf off the plant and take it to your desk and, and put it under the microscope that's like parked on your desk. Um, you know, I check trichomes that way too. I just like cut half a calyx off of a bud and bring it over and, and put it under the microscope. Um, it's definitely but, worth taking the sample. Yeah, I, I definitely think that people trying to just hold something up to the plant in the tent is like going to be hard. So just be aware of that. It's a lot harder, but I'll give a few tips from uh, photography that I've stolen to use for looking through a microscope and just for working with cannabis plants. If you look at a cannabis plant, most of the time, it's kind of like my finger or my hand. You can see even this little image behind me. And for the podcast listeners, I'm sorry, but the top point of a leaf, usually there's one pointing towards you. And what I like to do is I'll grab with one hand the tip of that leaf and slowly pull the plant towards my direction. And I'll, I have like a wall next to my thing, but leaning up into a solid object. So your body's not swaying. You take that out of the configuration, you pull your hand to a fixed location, and then you can kind of slowly move your head and eye up to the uh, position as opposed to just trying to like free hover and like floating around and shaking all over the place. Uh, the more of a rest that you have on something, even if you just got like down onto your knees or, you know, squat, like any way that you can stabilize helps a lot. And I do like that 40 to 60 magnification for the reasoning that it's not so powerful that it's like going to be blurry unless you're perfectly still. You um, won't need it usually. Right. When, well, like we were talking yeah. earlier, I used to have worse than 2020 vision, but I stopped wearing my glasses. And now whenever I get tested, I'm like 2016 or 2014, which is like a little better than normal. And I can actually see the color of the trichomes without my loop starting to change when it goes from clear to milky to amber. And I take a loop just to verify and look at what percentage, like within a looped range, let's say there's a hundred trichomes in that little one millimeter area. I like to see out of that hundred trichomes, how many of them are clear? How many of them are milky? How many of them are amber? Because if I see one amber trichome, but the rest are glass, I'm not going to like worry. Maybe it got knocked, maybe it got too hot or maybe something happened. But if it's like 85% milky and I'm starting to see like 10, 15 amber, then I'm probably getting to the point where it might be 
starting to get overly mature, but that might not be the case for all things. So uh, I'd say take it with a grain of salt until you get to know your plant because the effects as much as the, uh, I think the clear to milky to amber has some validity to it. It doesn't necessarily hold true across every single plant that I've sampled and tested. So just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I have, um, I have a couple of uh, stereo microscopes that uh, go 20, 40 times. And then I have one zoom. To, so I got them all secondhand at the uh, Goodwill store website, actually. But not like I never had a digital one. I don't, that might be way better now if you could look it on your iPad or computer screen. But the good thing about the, um, the zoom one is it stays in focus as you're turning it. So like I can zoom in and out and it stays in focus. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, if you go over a hundred, now you get into like where it's getting really tight. You only get a little field of view, the tight, the, uh, more, my, uh, magnif the more magnification you go, you get a smaller and smaller field of view. But, um, I think the 40 is plenty to see trichomes and bugs. I mean, I luckily knock on wood, have never seen a resumite live in my microscope. So I don't know how small they might be, but. Yeah, anything you, any other bugs, you could definitely get a really good picture of at 40, 40 times magnification. I want to say that uh, the thing about the recipe mite and also broad mite, like visualization, is an academic one because in both of those cases, you'll probably see the resulting damage from their saliva that kind of messes up the foliage um, instead of actually seeing them directly. So, and then at that point, you're like, and as Dr. Coco said really well, like you can take a sample and you probably should, you know, take a small sample, very carefully bring it to um, another location that you can like contain and control and, um, and look with like a microscope or something with stability in mind. Absolutely. Sorry, we've got some more questions here. I just was uh, working on a little something else in the background, um, but we do have another question from, um, this will be a good one to bring Kyle back into the fold a little bit, I think. Shonuff asks, cheap home grow when an auto is pollinated by another auto or makes seeds by itself, what are the chances the seeds will also auto flower? I have some that did auto, is that common? And I'm gonna turn my camera on for a second. Yes, I would say that is common. Auto flower crossing to auto flower, um, I've heard Kyle in the past say like begets like. So an mm -hmm. auto cross to an auto, you're almost going to have 100% auto flowers, I would say, in the progeny from that. Um, where it gets kind of squirrely is when you cross an auto to a photo. Most people would think, oh, there's going to be autos in the first generation. But almost all the breeders I've talked to have said, no, there aren't, unless it's like a very fast flowering photo period. Uh, you have to take it to like F2 and usually F3 until you start stabilizing auto traits when you cross an auto to a photo. But in your case, auto to auto, um, I think it's very common to see autoflowers in the next generation. That's how most autoflowers are made. But Kyle and uh, maybe anybody else after Kyle who'd like to uh, weigh in on that. I think you did a perfect job, Jack. I mean, it really depends on the parents, you know. That's with everything. Everyone's, you know, talks about, uh, you know, it's the same with like feminizing that. Everyone's like, oh, it's a, it's it's a it's a problem. It's a problem. It's like, well, it just depends on the parents, you know, and then it depends on what you're selecting. Um, you know what parents are selecting to bring forward so yeah i mean if the parents if, if basically if he was dealing with two autos that were already work lines that were fully auto then yeah you can cross crisscross self you can do all kinds of fun stuff and you'll always have autos but if any of the parents were 
you know, a, a photo period generation, then yeah, you're going to get uh, a cesspool of, of different styles. So, a researcher named Jacob Toth, I posted about about two weeks ago, um, was talking about something related to this. Not only just like photo period and and uh, like for photo periodity and its heredity, but also like other factors. And I guess it's um the sensitivity has definitely got a genetic component, right? Um, he even found some uh, genes which he was named autoflower one, early one, which are on the first chromosome. And he also mentioned that you can check out this presentation where he talks about this. There's way more detail on the um, on uh, Cornell Cornell's College of Agriculture and Life Sciences um, School of Integrative Plant Science. Uh, so on Cornell, um, there's an, a Cornell Ag or a Cornell YouTube channel, and you can find this. They've been actually posting a bunch of uh, cannabis research um, lately. They've been having researchers come on and describe topics like this so it's really cool to see that uh getting a lot of um attention so and the i think i even posted his research before actually i think it's on the youtube page cornell sips s-i-p-s like Steam yeah the school of yeah the school of, okay yeah but the only thing i don't like about it is they don't let you comment on the videos i would love to like place timestamps for like things that i find interesting in there or like ask questions but the, the they're like the the comment section's closed beneath it. That's like the only gripe I have, but I love all the- Well, but it's not for it. that, probably. Yeah. It's not really meant for that, probably. Because, no, you I... know, they're not trying to moderate. They're like a college. They don't want to yeah, it's, it's do being that. used as like a part of a discussion, almost certainly. They're just linking that and not having any, any engagement so that they can use it as part of like a lecture for a class or a series of classes. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate that they're even putting it out there in the first place so that we can access it publicly. Um, great to see that they're sharing that information. We have uh, another question from UK SIF. Actually, that wasn't the question I was looking at. It was the one Spartan Grown asked about, okay, Doug George, anyone on the panel tried wood vinegar as a pest repellent? Well, no, not I, I, I have not. I've never heard of it. And hadn't heard of wood, wood vinegar either before this. I would have to imagine it would have to be diluted quite a lot because vinegar is a natural weed killer and it's going to be hurtful to spray it on your plant, I would imagine. But I'm not familiar with wood alcohol. It might be a different substance. Well, I'm, I'm, I've heard the term before, but I, I'll admit that I don't remember any alternative name. So I just checked and it's... Uh, Pyroligneous acid, apparently, which I, I don't, um, I'm not familiar with myself. I, I don't know. I, I think that it's kind of corrosive, right? Maybe. I don't know if they're, if they're oh, talking about just the pesticide for like spraying pests around the building and not on their plants, maybe. <laughs> I just, I don't know enough about it to recommend it. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, um, I can't think of any products that are pretty common that, that use this uh, substance myself. So probably be very cautious with that potentiality. To look up seek bamboo vinegar. Yep, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Is my answer. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't used it myself. I would say uh, 
there's other things out there to use for IPM that we're all more comfortable with and have had experience with and that have shown certain levels oh, yeah. of uh, efficacy with certain pests or molds or mildews. So I'd probably stick to those if you have them available to you, which they might be more available than you might think. Like it could be at Lowe's or Home Depot in some cases. Yeah, I switched to, uh, I mean, thanks to all you guys plus Matt, but I switched to sulfur and water for like powdery, powdery mildew, which I thought was like fucking almost impossible to get rid of like permanently and thrips and other stuff. And I have to stand by that till the grave, man. I, that's all I use. I have a lobster pot in my in my room and I fill it with three gallons with the correct dosage of uh, sulfur powder and I just submerge the whole plant in the thing. The entire plant gets dunked in there. It's 100% accuracy. I do that three okay. times uh, over a two-week period. And I, I have no PM. I haven't had PM in, in years. And they were filled with PM at one point. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's an awesome awesome product. I mean, I, I love that stuff. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing your experiences a lot, um, you and also Spartan, because um, I've definitely had people come to me um, – who who have been very they're they're very against using the wettable sulfur and um, certainly there's inappropriate ways to use any substance but uh, you know it's not very toxic as long as you're safe with it um, and yeah. it works really well and I had people coming up saying oh no professional you know no commercial people use wettable sulfur that's what amateurs use who don't know how to use X Y Z and I was like and I use Spartan I use you very much as an example against this and. Uh, and many other people I've, that I've talked to and worked with, even before we started a professional relationship, you know, they're like, oh, we'll use this and it works well and it's legally allowed. And yeah, yeah so um, I don't know who's going around saying that you shouldn't be using it or anything, but um, apparently it's, I don't know, apparently I think there are sources I think, who are making that point. I, I think don't know. it's the, the mentality of at least the Americans, I'll, I'll, I'll say when we look at things and we look at prices and if it's cheap it's a crap product and if it's fucking expensive it's a good product and people's subconscious or whatever and when you look at the price of sulfur <laughs> for wettable sulfur and what you pay for these other fucking products that are trying to do the same thing um i can see where people might have that misconception but uh try the damn thing and then tell me it's not doesn't work that's all i tell people i'm not gonna yeah. argue with you try it and tell me it doesn't work Yeah, I just had a guy today I was speaking to um, that I'm actually going to be working for in the future, but uh, just saying that PM's permanent. It's permanent. We tried spraying this, spraying that, and just you just have to deal with it and battle it. And in my head, I'm like, oh, not really, man. You, you can get rid of that shit because I've been getting rid of I've had it all the time, and I, I keep getting rid of it. I mean, the reason why I, I was getting it back is I was introducing new people's other people's, uh, you know, clones in my shit. So I, I learned that lesson. But uh yeah, it works. Works great, man. It's hundred percent. I have a hundred percent guaranteed uh, on that shit so far. So the only one caveat about that is that the wettable sulfur, it's really good. It's an insecticide, a fungicide. It probably has other or various other microbes that might be uh, negatively affected. So you do want to consider that, of course. <laughs> you don't want to be applying your Bouveria, Bassiana, or some other beneficial fungus on the foliage. And then coming back in with wettable sulfur or to kill something bugs. else, you know, or predator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I would wait a significant period of time. You know, I've, I have people who I've talked with who's, who like to wait more than a week. Um, personally, I feel like 
three to four, maybe five days is usually sufficient, but um, people's mileage kind of varies with that. That's the important caveat to make. It's very potent. So just know what the consequences are. That's why you have to know integrated pest management. The I is very important. You have to integrate it effectively. You have to know what all these factors are. My general kind of, um, I guess I would say IPM strategy is, is sulfur through veg wettable sulfur through veg and then uh and then i do the uh the predators in, in flower so that then it gives me that little bit of breathing room on that switch on that flip to where some of that sulfur can wear off like you're saying and <laughs> i could put this but i'm also putting sachets on so i figure if i lose a few of them who cares there's going to be more coming out of those sachets and, and, and i'll be all right but at least i'll have Spartan, are you are you using that in, in the facility as well? Is that how you guys are treating for veg and then flour? We we used to treat we used to use uh, early on. We used to use wettable sulfur early in veg, like at the clone stage. But uh, they got away from using it um, because they uh, found out that we could just uh, we were using. There's a rotation, but uh, they took the sulfur out because the, they went with all the oils and they just put them on rotations. Like uh, it was. Remember, Suffoil X was one of them. And then as a guard, I believe, was another one. And then uh, there was a third. And it's escaping me now. Well, how do you feel about how do you feel about that change? I mean, do you think that is it was it a good move to be changing to what they're using now? Or do you not agree with that? I'm not even working there anymore. So I don't care what they do. But uh in my standpoint. opinion, in my opinion, a lot of the a lot of the um, areas where I agreed with almost a lot of the things they did, but uh, a lot of times where we found disagreement is uh, in things like what we're talking about, as far as chasing hype and chasing marketing rather than chasing science, and um, that's ultimately what made me kind of leave that and. Uh, the people he was dealing with, I guess I'll say, to try to be nice. To but change yeah, topics a little. Yeah, okay, I, I, just, I just want to encourage anybody in the commercial space to, you know, in all our space, honestly, not just commercials, you know, I think one of our biggest, besides just misinformation or ignorance, um, our biggest challenges is, is ego. Drop the ego and just use what works, man. Why, why does it have to, why do you have to force things? Just use things that actually work. It doesn't I think a lot of people buy, in, buy into the hype. Like you said, they've yeah. been, they look up to certain people, they write a book or something, and then they say, hey, use this product. And it might be an expensive product. And they just use it because it's what they're told to use or what they see other people using in the industry and having success with it. But at the same token, there are people like yourself using inexpensive products that are effective like sulfur and also having success with it. So there's no one size fits all solution. Maybe sulfur will work for people for a while and then they'll come across something. So maybe the rotation of oils is more effective for a wider swath of things, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it is a saying I've always said and believed. So until sulfur doesn't work, I keep on rocking with it for you and Kyle. It seems to be working really well. So at the low cost and high effectiveness, I don't see any real reason to be jumping ship anytime soon but it's always good to be open-minded and aware of what the other options are you've seen it firsthand used now so if you needed to switch you know what's available and you know that it is more expensive so to plan for that in your pocket 
Well, yeah, that's another thing is I'm not saying I don't use oils. If I felt like, like you said, if there was a pest that uh, I didn't like, I don't think that sulfur works well, for example, on thrips. Where, well, I don't know, Matthew, if, if that's true or not, but I don't think it works very good on thrips. And uh, I think the oils with a little bit of alcohol mixed in works great for thips, thrips. So I'll wait a week from when the last time sulfur was applied, at least. And then uh, I'll hit it with that. I'll hit it with like a, like a lost close plant therapy with uh, some alcohol, some ISO mixed in or something. You're talking about the sulfur for the thrips, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it works. It, it can work okay. It really depends on how many you're getting. And um, I definitely have had trouble with just sulfur because like the, the adults are super like vagile. They'll just go everywhere. Um, there's a few insects like that where like, they're just, um, you know, as soon as they get a little bit disturbed, maybe even before you like walk near enough or spray them, uh, they're already gone. And you <laughs> might have like an ambient population, like coming out, like through your, if you're in a greenhouse or who knows. Um, so yeah, it can be kind of difficult. You really got to get that contact and you might not achieve it. You might kill the ones without wings, but then some of them develop and some of them are like pupa on the ground and yeah, it can be a struggle with thrips. So what are you guys suggesting for well, thrips? What product Lost Lost Coast? Any oil. Yeah. My my preferred one is Lost Coast. And it's same just... here. And um I don't really know a lot of people that use it. So Spartan, uh so on the side of the, the bottle it says uh one ounce per per gallon or to two. Mm-hmm. And um obviously the, the the alcohol too. What what is the solution that you that you like to run with? One. I do the one ounce, one ounce of Lost Coast, one ounce of ISO. And then a gallon of water. Mm, interesting. The ISO used to be in it, I think, and they took it out maybe for labeling purposes the, to get it into certain states. There is, I think, some ISO in it, maybe, but it's a way lower concentration now. And they have recommended, I think, on the GML show a long time ago, if you were fighting thrips specifically, to kick it up with an extra ounce per gallon of ISO to get that effectiveness against thrips. I've actually really enjoyed using it for a variety of things. I've seen it work against thrips. I've seen it work against. Uh, spider mites i love how it smells personally it's like doesn't seem like it's something toxic that i'm going to be worried about getting on myself or around you know my garden and plants and animals and things like that so that's definitely one that i like a lot so I, i'll also throw my hat on the ringer for yeah. that one so so you're saying jack that you would you would recommend if you had a, a bad throat problem because i got a buddy who's got one he's been asking some questions so you would say two ounces of alcohol no one ounce high? One ounce alcohol, one ounce of the mm-hmm. Lost Coast plant therapy. Yeah, that's what Spartan said too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I total agreement with what I'm just seconding that I think that's okay. an effective way to wanna, supercharge um, it. And maybe maybe there are people that disagree with me, but in chat somebody suggesting spinacide, spinacide for thrips. And I rec- I don't recommend spinacide just because at least here in Michigan and in some other markets, it's a banned substance on the commercial side of things. So Anything that's on a banned list commercially is usually something to avoid, in my opinion. Agreed. It's banned here in California too, right, Matthew? The spinosad? No, you can give spinosad, I believe. Oh, okay. I thought it was. But but, but see, when you're talking about use banned, on cannabis. Do you mean, oh well, see, that's that that can be um that that changes quite a bit, honestly. And I think that there is some contention with Cal with the uh, California, I think also Oregon potentially, but. Um, I'd want to be sure. Why don't I check that for us? Because that's an important question. Good not to be uh, guessing on. I'm pretty on sure too. Michigan's Michigan's got a ban, and on the commercial side, I'm pretty sure it's something we had to avoid. 
I have a question while Matthew uh, finds that answer for us. C Webb asked, and Spartan Grown graciously copied it into the chat. He said, at Jack Greensock and at Spartan Grown. Okay, my question for tonight Can Craft Blend, which is a product from Build a Soil, be used in cocoa grow, in a cocoa grow? Can I top dress with Craft Blend to get the same type of feeding as if it were to top dress in a soil? And um, I haven't done this, but I'll say that I would guess that it will have some effectiveness. It might not be as good as a full-blown soil, but I've seen the Cocoa Loco product, which uses dry amendments to grow in cocoa. Um, personally, it wouldn't be my first choice if I was growing in cocoa. I'd probably go more on the Dr. MJ side of things and feed it with nutrients if I'm going to be doing a cocoa grow. But it is possible. And if you wanted to do more like a water-only cocoa build, I think that is a possibility of a Spartan. I'm curious uh, your thoughts on that one. Yeah, I actually, um, I gave him a few tips in chat too. And um, I would, uh, I'm one to always like to try new shit. So I, I was more on the side of, I don't know, let's see if we can make it work. And what I was thinking was um, Coco, he said he's got a lot of cocoa and he's already got a lot of earthworm castings on hand. So I said, mix those two together. That's, you know, that you're halfway, you're, you're pretty much at Coco Loco once you put that craft plant on top. You can either mix it into the soil when you're mixing your worm castings or you can top dress it. And I think I want to say he was saying that he wanted to top dress. So I think it would still work. It's just going to be difficult to have that some of the food available early on. So maybe make these pots. I don't know, a week before, two weeks before you plant into them. Um, and then by the time the roots, you know, fill out the pots and there'd be available nutrient everywhere. But uh, it might take a little time in the beginning to get them get them going you might have a struggle early on but if you put enough worm castings in there that should be fine um i would go maybe maybe even up to a third of your mix i'd be worried about the buffer on the cocoa um so oh, yeah, on the front if end was, if it was if it was you use like green sand like isn't that like an organic cow mag essentially yeah i'm just saying you should pay attention to that side well, of that's when you're using so the, the craft cookies. yeah the craft blend is is loaded with gypsum and uh, i think three different calcium sources okay okay i'm not familiar with the ratios there but uh, cocoa will use a lot of it and depending on the source of the cocoa too so um i would be Very sure that and it if it's reused or if it's how it's buffered or not buffered, buffered. Yeah, how it's buffered in the first place um to try Absolutely. to get sort of as much of an advantage out there that's usually one of the complicating factors with with doing cocoa with an amended grow um it's not just sort of amending for the the plant and the the long-term needs of the plant, but cocoa can really sort of suck up a lot of double-charged cations. So um, it, it often was, provokes the, the calcium or magnesium deficiencies. And you, it's really important to, especially since I believe you said like a 30 gallon pot, a big pot, it's very important to not get dry pockets and have an even amount of moisture throughout that pot. When I did this, I grew in like a Coco Loco and reused my soil again and again and again and didn't even take it out of the pot, just just top dressed, grew cover crops in it, just like you would have living soil and did fine, but it was in a soup container and it stayed moist almost all the time. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's hard to sort of get to saturation without getting to runoff. Um, I'd use a wetting agent in, in the water that, that you're providing. Uh, wetter water will distribute better in cocoa so um yeah and water slowly but certainly using water and wetting agent will help that somewhat i like yucca i think dr yeah dr coco likes yucca 
I like it's it. It's cheap. Okay. You get it in powder. It stays, for, stays around forever. I use a tiny, tiny amount of it in, in the water each time. And it brings some other benefits to the plants, too. So it's a good choice. Got another question from Real Red Hairs who asked, why do cannabis plants start as opposite branching and then turn into alternate branching? I know it does that from <laughs> there's a lot of plants from that, a seed, that <laughs> if it's from yeah. seed, it's always good but then the everything every clone after that isn't good i that's all i know about it as far as why i don't know why it does that most cannabis plants stay perfectly symmetrical for only about six nodes and then we'll start to to branch off into an irregular pattern um an alternating pattern um it, it's fairly common um on dicotyledon <laughs> plants to to start with evenly paired branches like that is called something. Um, but in any event, it's it, it's a fairly sort of common way that plants grow, that dicots like cannabis grow. It's not a world phylotoxy or anything like that, right? That, that pops in my head, but I think it's something different. Yeah, I'll jump in on this super moist comment. There's been a number of products that have tried to claim that they are sort of the reincarnation of SM90. Um, I have not tried super moist. I am a huge fan of SM90 um, when I still have like a gallon of it. But um, yeah, it's a, you know, plant oil extract blend primarily. It's a great the, agent too, if you can get it. One thing I wanted to mention in the conversation earlier with the cocoa using the craft blend, because cocoa may be such a big sink in dolomitic or um, calcium and magnesium, dolomitic lime is, I said green sand. I don't know why I said green sand. I was thinking dolomitic lime because it's 20% calcium and 10% magnesium, uh, which can vary a bit. But if you use the craft blend, which does have a big chunk of calcium and magnesium already, and that's not enough for whatever reason, that could be another way to uh, get a little bit extra of those two things specifically. Then does anybody else have thoughts on real Reddit hairs question about why the plants start off uh, with opposite branching and then turn to alternate branching? So I think also, I think Dr. Joko kind of answered this, but like, I'll just also mention that um, in a way, I think this is also related to like how, for example, the first two leaves on like a dicotyledonous plant like cannabis is not, they're not very similar to the other leaves, right? Like the, the first starting leaves, the primary leaves. It's almost like how, you know, animal embryos of mammals look very similar to each other when they're young, when they're much, you know, when they're much earlier in development and development. And as they grow, they sort of, you almost, you have, you almost see remnants of, our animal ancestry that like exist existed and then they kind of go away as well like um uh an example of that is like the uh the um the caudal tail right um and like also the hair that you develop anywho so another question so yeah so anyways it's like a it's deep evolutionary plant biology that stuff is fascinating the like from the very young ages that you can kind of see how the big family tree is kind of related like cats and dogs and everything as they develop like the two ears two eyes all that 
good stuff being mammals. Anyway, interesting. But on the more plant-related topics, Dave Leal says at Cheap Home Grow, what is the cheapest way to heat a tent? To heat a tent? To heat a tent. Usually the turn off your exhaust fan. Yeah, turn off the exhaust. I mean, <laughs> it, it's like in a in a properly lit tent, there's a lot of heat in there. So you got to be in a really kind of cold place to to actually sort of. Need I'm thinking like life. garage in Michigan, middle of the yeah. winter. Yeah, okay, yeah, true. I'm thinking right now it's June, so I'm like, where's this person having this problem? Maybe they're an Australian friend or somebody in Argentina or something too. Um, you know, it, it really depends on how you're set up. Um, but, you know, I like oil heaters. If you're going to have to add a heater, I, I don't like electric sort of space heaters because they create fire hazards. Um, but I, it's uncommon at this time of year, especially to, to have to add a heater. The last name would imply South American, but sorry, go ahead. Uh, sorry. I say that's how I do my rooms and I have one tent, but, uh, on my rooms and my tent, they have just those oil heaters, exactly what Dr. Coke was talking about. Because when they turn off and there's no more energy pole, they still radiate heat. I mean, you don't get that with a fucking those other heaters. Yeah, those yeah, coils. And if they fall over, they're not likely to burn anything down and stuff like that. <laughs> exactly. That's a serious concern. Honestly, yeah. space heaters are uh, accounting for more fires than probably like other than toasters, old yeah. toasters that haven't been cleaned out. Space heaters are like one of the number one fire starters. Mm-hmm. On top of like cigarette smoking and other things, but even that, they've made them so that they don't keep burning for the most part. So, yeah, space heaters every year, wintertime, tragically, thousands, probably millions of homes over the decades have been burnt down from that single culprit. Yeah. And be aware if you have to use heat, it's often better to heat the room, like the long room concept, than heat inside the tent if you have to use exhaust for humidity. Because if you're putting a heater inside the tent and sort of like sucking it out with the exhaust for the humidity control, um, you're, you're not going to get very efficient sort of with the, the use of the heat. So try to play around with that. But oftentimes just getting the room where the tent is sitting hotter so the intake air is hotter too is a good strategy. A little bit safer in terms of, you know, running a heater in a tent that you can't see but anyways and the plants don't like being super close to the heaters typically they i feel like it might dry it out or getting too hot that close to it it'd be better to heat like the room next to it and then pull that warm air in and kind of have a homogeneous temperature in the room versus like a really hot spot that's radiating out yeah and making everything uh i've seen that even with air conditioning like sometimes the plants closest to the air conditioner they might be the best ones but they might be the worst ones because right. when that AC is cranking right next to it, it just changes so much of that microclimate that um, it really makes the plants not want to perform at their best. The other thing he said was low humidity and low temps. In that situation, well, think about where you're exhausting too and how much you're exhausting. Um, you know, maybe it's just too much or maybe you can exhaust back into the lung room. Um, oftentimes in a situation where it's cold and dry, um, the heat and humidity that you're sort of exhausting out of the tent will be helpful in that long room again. So think about sort of your overall airflow management. Great points. Great. I was going to be a smart ass and say, just put it in your living space, <laughs> put it in your bedroom, put it in your fucking, put it yeah. In your fucking, yeah. If it's uh, too, too cold for them, it's too cold for you. 
too cold for you, too cold for them kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, if you make yeah. it livable for you, it's going to be livable for the plant, especially if you've got a light going in there. And I, I love Noah's suggestion, either turn down or turn off the uh, exhaust as long as you can keep it. It sounds like the humidity is really low, so that's not going to be much of an issue for you. So crank that thing down, maybe even get a less powerful. If you had an eight inch exhaust, maybe drop down to a six inch uh, and then have one of those little dials. So you can dial it to wherever you're going to get the temperature and humidity closer to what you're looking for. Tau or uh, Matthew, do you have any thoughts on heaters? Not really. That's already been said, to be honest. That's fair. Um, I'd say that uh, if it's cold and you have a heater, the outside walls might start condensating. So be aware of that. How make sure you have good airflow because, yeah, that screwed me over recently. So That's a good point. Not many people think about that. And uh, I've also seen yeah. that where the walls get lined with moisture and that's uh, begging for pathogens to start forming. I'll, I'll, since you've mentioned it, I'll say that um, I had to argue tooth and nail to the hill with, um, with, with a, a couple of growers that I worked with a long time ago because they were growing in greenhouses and this was, they, didn't ha they had a boiler system, right? Um, so not quite the same thing as a space heater, but like they had to manage this and they kept getting pathogens. Like they had rows of their crops. This wasn't cannabis, but um, it was always wherever the, the plastic, you know, uh, um, uh, liner um, when the condensate would, would move down and then pool and then drop down into the, like the first and the last of these like row sections of the greenhouse they would always get like massive pathogens because there'd be like water that pooled on the leaves and they would just suffocate nice. the cells there and then putrefy and then they get into the crown of the plant and again, start to like get rotten. So, you know, that's an extreme example, but you know, it's something as simple as not considering how the, the physics of the water is going to be, you know, and, and that can be, it can cause a catastrophic problem. They lost like, I want to say like 12% of their crop, you know, year on year on year um, when they could have just managed that better. Kind of unfortunate. Always sticks out in my head. I'm sure there's examples of that like all over the fucking country, man. Probably so. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like you don't think it's a big deal, but actually it actually is. And if you're not paying close attention, then you just think it's like they're just coincidental, but they're not. Speaking of big deals, I've heard Kyle Breed has got some badass drops, but he's got to run at the eight o'clock hour, which means we've got about one minute left for him. So Kyle, if you have any final thoughts and shout outs, you'd like to uh, pop in here, go ahead and do that. Uh, no, I think you guys did a really good job at um, covering stuff. I mean, as a, my background's electrical and yeah, I definitely suggest not doing space heater because the, there's possible complications there. Um, and also what Dr. MJ said, in like some of the really good lights, I mean, there's usually enough heat, especially if you're in a tent, to kind of keep it somewhat of a moderate uh, temperature to be running stuff. But yeah, I guess if you're in like a garage in the middle of winter, you might need some, uh, some extra stuff in there. But uh, yeah, again, I appreciate you guys uh, always being here and just doing the same thing that we do every Sunday. And um, yeah, if anybody's looking for quality seeds, feminized seeds uh, i have a website it's purebreeding.com i have some new stuff that i just put on there uh, i have a few packs left of everything 
Uh, but there really isn't all that much left. So if you haven't gotten it, please feel free. Uh, I do have some skunk and northern lights uh, lines coming out, which are really, really, really cool. And uh, terpene profiles that I haven't encountered until I started growing them. So that's really cool. Um, and I'm, I think I'm going to start growing out the Gonzi seeds that Kevin gave me, Kevin Jodry gave me um, from Afghanistan. So that, those are really cool uh, genetics um, that, I'm, that I'm kind of excited to tap into. But other than that, yeah, feel free to reach out anytime. Pure underscore breeding on Instagram, same with Twitter, and then pure breeding on Facebook. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. And uh, it's nice to see you guys again. I'll see you guys next weekend. Cheers, Kyle. Pbreeding.com to check out all of his work. And thank you for joining us. Have a good one, Kyle. Good to see you, man. Later, guys. Grow love, Kyle. Peace Kyle. out, Kyle. Kyle, that looks like guys. a pretty good uh, link you just dropped in the chat there uh, in response to Real Red Hair's earlier question about branching. I haven't had a chance to read through it all just yet, but it looked pretty uh, scientific. Yeah, that's a lot. Talk a little bit about it. I didn't really dig into it too hard, but um, apparently, you know, it says in there how uh, as the plants get older, the even branching starts to twist because it says they had something to do with the size of the daughter branches. And uh, I have to read, read into it more, but uh, that paper seems to be studying how um, it grows to catch uh, sunlight and also water movement in the, in the plume and xylem. So yeah, I didn't read much into it, but I noticed it mentioned the branching thing. So. I said, you know, it touches on it for sure. Good stuff. Well, uh, we have a question from Dog Doctor Official who says, does anyone know how to make muscle cream with THC and CBD infused? Can I do RSO extraction? And after I mix it with whatever I'm making the cream of. So sorry, that was a little bit worded awkwardly, but Spartan, I'll pass that to you. I would say that your best bet would to be Try to find something that uh, the THC oil or any kind of concentrate, it doesn't have to be RSO, it could be any kind of concentrate really, but find something that is soluble in like a fat or, um, you know, like an oil. Oils is a common, oil is a common one that you'd put into a, some kind of a skin rub, I would think. I would first just look up a homemade recipe for a skin rub, or, you know, to see what gives you the volume and everything that you're looking for, what those materials are, and see if any of them have fat in it. And if you can't just... Uh, um, extract right in, or you can make a, a pure extraction like RSO to make it really strong and then melt that into the fat. Yeah. I, I don't, and that would help it bind and mix better. I would think maybe use a, use a little bit of soy or, um, what's the other one? Sunflower lecithin if you're using fats, cause it'll help, uh, emulsify, uh, that into the fat and make it uh, blend better. So it's not all concentrated in one spot because these oils too will try to separate i think from other substances if you have like water in it that makes it easier to uptake in your gut and things like that but i'd imagine it's probably more beneficial on your skin too as well i know skillbo likes to add more than one medical plant into his like roller balls so he'll use like frankincense and peppermint and other oils in a tincture which is like an alcohol extract uh, instead of reducing it down to rso keeping it as the alcohol and then mixing that with a variety of different essential oils that have been shown to have benefits for inflammation and pain and things like that and having used it i can advocate for it because it works damn well and uh, the other thing is if you want to check out uh, shaping fire there's an episode on root ball medicine so don't throw away your roots start saving your roots dry them up and if you can find a way to cut them or grind them uh, 
those can be used in salves and they're supposed to be really good for like arthritis and uh, pain in people's hands, skin, and it's supposed to be really good for your skin and healthy and uh, going to using all of the plant as much as possible, not having any waste and, um, you know, being the cheap home grower that you get the most value out of your plant when you use everything, including the roots, most people do throw them away. So uh, making that into a salve and a pain, pain cream is an option that not too many people talk about, but is an ancient medicine and they've been doing it for thousands of years with cannabis and even other plants. So there's terpenes that are found in the roots that are not found on the inflorescence of the plant. They're right. only found in the roots. So you can't get them on the rest of the plant. I'm so. sad that I just cut my plant and replant. I don't have any access to the roots. It's fucked up. I have to talk to my buddy uh, on the GML show there who poops with his roots. Just get some DWC guys, there. dude. Yeah. They get like buckets full of them. Get, I'll, I'll, I'll dust off. I'll go dig out, out of the bottom of the garage in the dusty corner. I know there's a DWC bucket back there. <laughs> I'll just have one plant, maybe an autoflower, just to harvest roots. How hilarious is that? Roots Ooh, and then like... I, now you got me thinking. I bet you that I can take those roots and make an alcohol extraction to extract. We'll have to find out what that cannabinoid is or what is that substance that's not found in the fluorescence. Well, I know what it is and if it's uh, soluble in alcohol. Tao, you sent some roots to Indra, if I remember correctly, right? And he extracted some like pink stuff out of your roots, didn't he? Yeah, Allegedly. He, I didn't. I didn't taste any of that stuff or see it or anything, but yeah, he claimed it was, uh, he got some sort of crazy stuff out of there. Yeah. He didn't say too much about it. Just yes. thinking I could take uh, roots out of DWC, but I harvest the plant, I can just let them dry. Then I can powder them up in a food processor and I can throw that into, uh, some alcohol, extract that just like I do RSO and put that into the final extraction and just get an even more full spectrum. And it's still fucking, cannabis derived and you're not going to get that in any other rso i will warn i will say i think that if i remember correctly there might be it might have really uh unfortunate side effects on the stomach it, the roots oh. um unless they're prepared a certain way and the other thing is food processing unless it's like a food processor made for like chipping up like your cannabis stems and like other stuff like i wouldn't use the one that you use to actually process food with because oh. I guess the roots are really, really tough. So when you're processing them, it can be a little bit hard to break them down. Yeah, I have but. a special one I bought from a thrift store because the old shit that's fucking badass. And uh, I use it just to chop up like fucking plant material all the time. <laughs> that's all it does. It just That thing reeks. That's perfect. And honestly, there's something to be said about some of the older equipment. It's like heavier duty, uh, even like a refrigerator. Like I've seen some from like the... I don't know, like mid 1900s that are still running really well. They're not as efficient, obviously, but uh, they don't break. So it's interesting to see some of that older stuff is built super high quality. So we have another question uh, though from Sean Tally. Any idea of my issue using soil, getting fan leaves, all getting yellow spots and brown tips, three weeks in flower, temps was 80, low them to 75, issue has slowed down it makes sense to me it sounds like when the temperatures are hotter transpiration went up and it uptakes and you have a hot soil so it burns the shit out of the tips i don't know what the yellow is i would ask the relative humidity how's the, the temp went back down that means transpiration went back to a regular kind of level but i don't understand the yellow I always ask like way more questions. Like, is it in a large enough pot? How's the watering? Is it overwatered or underwatered potentially? Like, is that a possibility? Um, you know, 
if, if there's leaf on top of leaf, it starts to get, sometimes you get spots because the moisture builds up. So is that what's causing the issues or is the RH spiking really, really high after lights go out to like 80 or 90 and then causing a whole bunch of issues? Um, so we don't even know if it's salts or organic either, because it could just be if you're in, if you're running like cocoa and salts and you let it just dry out too dry and then you hit it with the same like feed that you normally would, then you're going to burn that crap out of it too that yeah way. but they did say using soil so i guess we could assume oh soil yeah getting tan. yellow spots i haven't seen yellow spots on leaf i would have to look shit up i don't know i don't i haven't seen yellow like spotted yellow leaves like that that sounds like, that sound like a pest issue yeah yeah it was either a pest bite or like or, i was uh, thinking fungus spots when i heard the symptoms but i might not have been paying total attention but yeah it seemed more like a pest issue Something the wording happened. was a little difficult to to read to be honest but the other thing um depending on how how large is the spot is it a spot like the size of a quarter or is it a bunch of little tiny spots like stippling because stippling would be like spider mite right. damage or uh, like doc said it could be uh fungus gnat issues like overwatered maybe there's root rot um that could be another issue i've seen a lot of people overwater their plants and then start to have issues and then when they stop watering them sometimes things get back to normal but sometimes it's too late like matthew mentioned i think um a few of the nastier ones that can literally kill your plant in a day are like pythium and uh, another waterborne pathogen that usually comes around when I think overwatered or just kind of root rot situation. Itophthora is a big one, for example. But yeah, like maybe a day would be pretty bad, but like, yeah, like if they get through, like, it can be really, you can be close to that. It can be like 48 hours or maybe even three days because what happens is that they infect the roots, and especially if you have like a wound or, or something, or they're just able to like get in, or like you said, that you get overwatered and like the roots kind of suffocate. Um, they can get in through the the tissue, and then they colonize the, the xylem, water channels, and that sort of stuff, the, the vascular system, and that's why you know like maybe even in some cases like a fusarium like you'll get like one branch that gets infected and everything after that kind of like atrophies same thing happens to like the base of the plant and it just atrophies and it's very lethal sometimes and i've actually had people come and tell me that uh they have fought off some root pathogens and i've also experienced this as well with um you know applying certain microbes and uh, even certain commercial products that are available out there. Uh, I think somebody was telling me recently, I forget if it was like, if it was root shield or root guard, but um, yeah, it can be effective, but oftentimes I find that like once it's a, a significantly advanced, like the damage is kind of already done. Yeah. And like you were saying, it might've been 48 hours, but maybe they didn't notice it in the first 24 and so exactly. over yeah, 24, exactly. it feels like it died, which, yeah, it's definitely good to uh, try and maintain the best health for your plant as you can and, and avoid some of those common mistakes of overwatering because they can lead you susceptible to some of these kind of harsh uh, realities that can kill off a plant in a short period of time, relatively. And uh, it's pretty easy to avoid if you're in a well-draining soil, well-draining pot, and just uh, are attentive to your plants. Hopefully you can catch it on that first day and realize like, okay, this doesn't need any more water and stop watering it for a little while and give it some airflow, let it do its thing. I've even seen in outdoor grows uh, when stuff flooded back in Ohio, uh, some people would grow in the cornfields and stuff like that. And 
they would go through after it rained super hard and they would kind of take like an auger and kind of bore out holes around the cannabis plants to get some air down there and some the plants that they did it on would live and the ones that they didn't do it on would end up dying so i think that it was certainly effective when it's a completely waterlogged soil to even though you're killing off some of the roots you're giving it some new spaces to grow into and uh, it was an interesting technique i don't know why it just came across my mind now thinking about these conversations but yeah it was a uh, one that I saw implemented with some success and think that uh, if you're having those types of issues, maybe it's an extreme, but something you can resort to if absolutely necessary. It looks like we've actually answered all the questions that we copied into the uh, Zoom chat. So I might share the link to the listeners out there and see if anybody wants to come on and show off their garden or ask a question in person, kind of, or not in person, but like on the Zoom call if that's all right with everybody here, because we've got six. I think we've got a little bit of room for uh, some extras on here. Yeah, sure. Bring them on. We did have another question pop up, Chad. It was uh, from Eric. He said he's got the opposite problem in a tent, high temperatures. How do you cool in a tent? I'm going to try one of these mini cold water humidifiers. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is. Well, it sounds like an evaporative cooler um, rather than an air conditioner. Evaporative coolers will only work if the humidity is very low. And as a result of that, they usually don't work in a grow space very effectively. They just dump a bunch of humidity into your grow space. Um, you know, the unfortunate answer to like high temperatures is like air conditioning or run less heat. Um, the less plants which we don't want to hear that either yeah well less light <laughs> less something because like the heat problem is is caused by the equipment that you're running inside the tent primarily um and it's exacerbated by the fact that you're not able to pull in cold enough air to replace that sort of hot air um so you need to get colder air to replace that <laughs> the hot air that you're sucking out and then the only really effective way to do that is with an actual air conditioner that uses coolant not with the the evaporative coolers like the swamp coolers that basically use the the cooling power of evaporation to um you know cool but that adds humidity to the air and i've really found that the easiest way to control a hot tent and it's, it's i'm just saying it's not easy but the easiest that works um, and it's fit. I mean, it's, it's cheap. I'll say not expensive, but it's, get just a regular window unit and cool the space around the tent and try to, you know, you can even get as crazy as you want with, uh, if you have things to insulate that room to hold the, you know, to help the AC's efficiency. But if you can keep the space around the tent at a cooler temperature and then just cycle the air with a, with a, the vents or with help from a fan, um, yeah, well, you're going to be running your exhaust fan in that situation, right, Spartan? Yeah. Yep. So that's the thing, guys. Just remember, if you're if you're going to get like a window unit, realize this, even though you might be like oh, sealing, yeah. sealing the room, you're not going to just be cooling that room. You're going to be cooling a room with like an exhaust fan blowing air out of that room constantly. So you're going to constantly have to be sort of cooling. So you need more capacity usually then would be required just if that was like you know your bedroom and if you're buying a system for that um keep that in mind there are pretty easy ways to calculate your heat load for your tent i actually 
posted this in chat a little while ago. Um, add up it, all the watts that you use in your tent, um, multiply that wattage by 3.41, and that will give you your BTU per hour of the sort of heat impact that the equipment that you're using is adding. Um, you can convert that in, you know, air conditioners are sold in terms of BTU um, or in terms of tons. So you can con convert the, if you have a, a ton of BTU, then you can convert them into a tons um, for your air conditioner sizing that way. But, but make sure that you're thinking about that. It's, it's less related to sort of the room, the climate, where you're living, all of those things, although that plays a, a factor as well. So whatever you would need to air condition that room plus offset all of the power that you're running into your tent and offsetting all of the power is usually, I mean, it depends on how big of a tent you're running, but it's usually sort of more than, you know, what you would need just for the room. So it's like more than twice. Good point there. 10, watt oh, go ahead, Spark. I said, so get you a 10,000 watt BTU. <laughs> or get out, you get up to 10,000 BTUs. Yeah. Yeah, pretty easily. So you could get a 10,000 watt or a 10,000 BTU unit, which is pretty common. That's pretty small. But, you know, you probably need 10 or 15,000 BTUs just for the room. If That's you're what I was saying. I was saying I would start at 10. I wouldn't go lower. Right, right. And then, you know, 10,000 BTUs would be about 3000 watts or so. So if you were using like 3000 watts, you would need an additional 10,000 BTUs for that room. Um, but that's quite a bit. Most home growers probably running with a little bit less than 3000 watts. So that, that gives you sort of some idea about how to how to size this equipment so that, you, you know, it would work effectively for you. And some crazy enough, a lot more just depends on uh, what people consider a home grow. It's uh, <laughs> fascinating what falls under that realm, but I'm happy to be part of, uh, you know, whatever size grow at, at home people are able to pull off. Noah, the grower over there has his air conditioning pretty dialed in. Noah, do you have any thoughts on the air conditioning before I found a question in the DM from somebody who can't listen live and I dug through like a hundred DMs to find it. So I'm actually super stoked. I found it and I'll get to that next, but Noah, uh, any thoughts on AC? They they said it, you know, pretty correct. Uh, everything everybody said here, you know, I mean, and like you said, depends on the size, depends on what the heat. There's a lot of factors that go into it. You know, you gotta really just kind of gauge it. it. It's not it's not a science. You know, I, I learned the hard way when I tried hooking up uh, four thousand waters uh, eight years ago that my little uh, twelve thousand BTU air conditioner window unit was not going to be sufficient. So. You learn lessons as you go and uh, upgrade when you need. And uh, that's pretty much what happened to me. So he gave us more detail in the chat. He says, I have a central air. I have central air, a five by five tent, and it stays around 47% humidity. The light is a midi grow fold eight. I would not use your central air for this. It's so inefficient yeah. to have to cool your whole damn house when it's yeah. like one room. <laughs> that that is the problem here so even if you had central air i'd consider doing a window unit or something else in that room a mini split um there's different options i mean this is if you really want to get geared up for it but if you're trying to use your central air system to to keep your tent clean cold I think there was more to tell us that we he might be able to get away with a little bit less btus because he's going to have some assistance 
Yeah, yeah. So if the central air is already doing the room for you, then you'd only have to add that, you know, add up your watts, multiply by 3.41, and that's how many BPTU you would need. Did I just offset the grow, kind of like Doc was calculating earlier, but don't have to offset the room. You just have to offset the grow's wattage. I want to welcome in the dog doctor, and uh, he can say hello, and then I've got another question that I want to get to. Hi, everybody. Rose Law, thank you for having me. Today is going to be a quick one. I'm almost with no batteries. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, good to see you, man. Good to see everybody. Always yeah, good to have you. Yeah, go, go. It's, it's just one one plant, actually. It's the, the other one that I... The rest is all drying, so... This is the runs that I topped, and then I topped the, bran- I topped the branches again. And open it. This is how she's growing. One plant. Looking good, Doc. Pretty solid. But this one stressed a little bit with the light, I think. Uh, I'm not sure. It does look kind of beginning. But it's just just over here and there. It's just those two. The rest are all doing your normal stuff. So I'm not worried too much. This is your first time running the runs? No, this is a, a clone out of the, the tree. I want three seeds out of it. And this one has a peculiar smell and taste different from all the other ones. And then from the ones that I tried, I tried before, this really is a piney pine turpin. It's like, it's like walking in the woods, open pines and eating the pines, you know, from the pine trees directly. I, I'm, I'm so in love with her. So I decided to do a big plant and see how she, how would she go? And she's doing pretty okay, actually. I need to defoliate her, probably soon. But I'm kind of happy. Yeah, yeah, I'm running. I'm running the runs right now myself. I'm getting towards the end, and my, uh, it, you know, it's hard to tell without smoking it. But I'm impressed what it looks like and everything so far. You've got the and clone it, there. No, he's running it from seed. No, no, yeah. no, I run seeds. This is a clone. I run seeds and, mm-hmm. and I will keep it. This is a keeper. But like it's, it's your, I'm just uh, making the distinction that this is your oh, pheno of the runs yes. that you pheno hunted from a seed where Noah got like what he would believe to be or know to be the actual like runs that's on oh, the commercial the, market. The so runs cut. Oh, okay, okay. No, that's great also. Nice. What is the terpene profile on that one? Uh, it's you no know, sweet. It smells sweet, uh, you know. It, it, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm. I took a picture and posted it on my Instagram just a couple of days ago, maybe even yesterday. But I'm gonna. I think I might go live in my room here at the end, and I'm going to. Uh, I'm definitely gonna take some pictures. I'm gonna take it down here in a couple of days and get close to like day sixty. Try something getting kind of darker. So, yeah, um, I'm getting close to that stage, and um, it's funny that you're growing it too. It's exciting. I love it. Uh, yeah, and you obviously, you know, you cloned it, so you like it, and, um, and that's a great feeling there. And uh, trust me, she's strong as fuck. Like, uh, I beat the hell crap out of it. I, I let her in the corner. I oh, forget yeah. she was all really down, almost dying, and then, then I, I grabbed everything because it was veggies time at the same time. It was a lot of things to do, and she bounced back beautiful. Like, uh, he's a, she's a keeper. It's that's awesome. Female, it's, it's good. It's a keeper. That's exactly I, what I look. I put my plants through a lot of stress. There's like a lot of strains that won't work good in my room. A lot of my buddies were running the Zookie's cut and swore by it. I gave it to me. 
it herm because my room is kind of stressful and I tie it down. I, I scrog, I do a lot of different things to help my yield and stuff. So I, that's encouraging that it's, uh, it can handle stress. That's good. Dude, amazing. Especially now in summer here, like right now it's not summer and I'm, I'm getting in Celsius 35 in daytime. So I believe this year we're going to go to 40. 30 time is already like 100 or 100 and something of yours. So they need to to handle good stress in here, even with AC and uh, running in them nighttime with the daytime temperatures, everything changing out. I still get to, to 32, 35 in my in my room during the summertime with AC blowing all, all over. And and I cannot put AC inside the tent because this will burn the plants, I believe. So what mm-hmm. I do, it's yeah, I, I I see everything around here, and then I bring the air from the room into the tents. But still, it's very complicated. It took, took it the first time when you harvested it. How long did it go? Uh, I took it long. I I have the notes here. I can double check actually. But I remember that I I took it longer than it said on the on the on the breather. But I, then I'd again, say, I I'd recommend that for pretty much everyone. Yeah, I do that for everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Those suggestions. <laughs> they, so I don't know what. Uh oh, his phone was dying. Good. I don't. I don't know if. Our, oh, no, no, here he is. Still here. He's back. I'm sorry. So this was gelato. This was cookies. My perspective and too. So I'm sorry. I had everything in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so me, man, I ain't ready to die anymore. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. I took it about nine weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it took it took uh, nine and a half weeks. Okay, that's good. nine and a half weeks. Yeah, they said it was a seven week or something like that. It was not oh. a seven. Week. It was not a seven week. <laughs> I've never grown a seven week. That's a red flag for that's me. A- <laughs> it says seven <laughs> weeks on there. And it's not like known for being like the fastest finishing strain you've ever heard of. The only seven week I'd grown was a Herm. (laughs) (laughs) I had a five week one. (laughs) Herm's time. (laughs) I had one, one in my very first introduction to growing. It was uh, called AK-47, but it wasn't the AK-47. It was just a supposed Afghan Kush that we took at 47 days. It probably could have gone 54 or 60 days, but we took it at 47 days because it was a commercial commercial operation i mean it's a bunch of dwc hps uh growing monocrop in like a house that was literally made just to grow that plant like uh, it was different times so but yeah typically i tend to find better stuff eight nine even ten weeks uh, in my experience but if a breeder writes seven weeks on that package i'm a little skeptical if they write seven to eight i'll give it to them maybe it's a fast finisher but and some people like it earlier. That's the other thing. Like That's maybe true. they'll take it to eight weeks and they're like, Especially oh, it's too heavy for me. And stuff. They want it a little bit early. Sour Disney Tangy was one of those people. He, he sent me a DM actually earlier when we were talking about the, um, oh God, I'm going to lose the uh, other person. I had their question pulled up. But I'm going to go back up to Sour Diesel Tangy. He said, best 100 bucks I ever spent. The ELI Cliv seven inch LCD display microscope with 32 gigabytes of memory. It's this like little, that's uh, not going to show up, but <laughs> yeah, you can look Talking into about that. microscope. Sorry to interrupt you. Why is everybody complicating this microscope thing? The iPhones, the phones in our days, the cameras, they have amazing quality. And if it's just for a home grower, you can check your trichomes with a photo and go all around your, your grow room. 
and you don't need to spend any money. If you, if you want to take it deeper, yeah, a microscope on digital one or, or buy a real one, it's different. But if it's just for trichrome checking, I just use my iPhone and I take photos and dude, I see them all. Really, really, really good. You know, I, I mean, maybe it's just me. But... Well, some people don't have those would be my first thought. But yeah, my, I mean, my phone's camera is not simple. the best. It is simple. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll say that uh, macro photography is sort of the, it's still kind of the elusive place for, I, I think for, because um, I, I have a pretty nice uh, Android phone myself. I recently got a new one about a year and a half ago. And uh, um, it's great for zooming in uh, for macro and also for um, uh, uh, longer range telescoping zooming. But yeah, but like you say, it's actually very simple. You know, like a jeweler's loop or a similar sort of magnifying glass. Like you could actually probably like if you were really if you were really in an austere situation, and you didn't have a lot of options. You could probably get like a magnifying glass, like the kind that you see in, you know, with a handle and a large lens that people use to see uh, you know, make text larger on books and things like this. You can smoke like, bowls you could, with it, too. Yes, yeah, like, true. Yeah. Yeah, right. you could do sun. Yeah, you could absolutely do that. Yeah. Can you imagine one of those under an LED light? I wonder if it would burn the fuck out of stuff. No, you, I mean, it would. <laughs> the lights are distributed that it's, oh, yeah, true, yeah, it would be hard. Don't to look up at the light with the magnifying glass. <laughs> that's true. This yeah, is, it's actually an incredibly fun. powerful, like, uh, ball of light. So it, you could it, get huge magnifying glasses that could melt rock. I was like, yes. I, can, I could go purchase it. That's like crazy. <laughs> well, I shouldn't be putting any uh, yeah thoughts into people's minds, but yeah. Oof. Well, they do them unintentionally. Thanks, Thanks There's a, a building in Las Vegas that they had to redesign because it was melting cars. I heard about that. Isn't that, that is amazing? <laughs> like the, the light crazy. would form off that parabolic sort of windows off the building and like it would shoot a laser beam down into the parking lot and like melt cars. So yeah. The sun is amazing. In Troy, they use that to burn ships. They recreated it on the History Channel. And yeah, it exactly. was like one of those myth busting things. And actually, if you make a big enough dome and you capture the sun's light at the right angle, you can reflect it onto something intense enough to burn wood and burn yeah, metal. I think in, in Arizona or something like to have all mirrors set up that like they could you know focus the sun in one spot and yeah it's like yeah they do insane. that for solar power generation yeah they have all those mirrors pointed insane. at that center boiler mm-hmm. yeah fascinating well we have a great question from uh Dane uh, they ask they're a first time grower uh and they're growing four photos and two autos outdoor and living soil they say, I have an RV filter on my garden hose, but don't really have room to put in a full barrel to get out the chlorine slash chloramine. I am in SoCal and know that is in my water. It's treated with both at different times of year, depending on where my water is coming from. The question is, as a home brewer, I treat my water with Campton tablets. That's C-A-M-P-D-E-N. I might be mispronouncing it. Maybe Camden, Campton. Tablets. Camden. Okay. Yeah, like we use it with brewing, for example. Yeah, so he said, I'm a home brewer. I use the Camden tablets, which is either sodium or potassium metabisulfite at a rate of 225 milligrams per five gallons of water. This immediately removes all chlorine or chloramine. Is this something that could be used in growing or is something about these chemicals, even in super small amounts, uh, might mess with the grow? Thanks for your time. Uh, keep all the good info uh, flowing. That's from Dane in SoCal. 
I'm not actually familiar with the, that chemical per se, but uh, humic acids do largely the same thing. So if you treat your water with, with humic acids, they'll neutralize the chloramines. That's a great point. That's I think Spartan said it, even your arm, if you like the bacteria from your arm, if you stick that in a bucket or something, isn't that enough to kill off? But uh, yeah, that's good. The chloramine is going to be either for the, the, the chlorine. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's going to use it quite a bit. But yeah, the humic acid, I think, is the easiest. And the the bonus on, the bonus on that is what doesn't yeah. get used up it is beneficial for your plant it's going to help chelate nutrients in your root zone exactly exactly so something about humics do you use your humix in the end and your your fumix in during the cycle or or you mix them in, in during the cycle on the end yeah because i'm using the my flu, fluvix during the whole cycle and in the last uh, three weeks, two weeks, I'm using the Umix uh, until I suggest go for water then. But uh, I was wondering how you guys do it. Sorry. You're saying like when it's added or which product? Asking about or? humic and fulvic acid, the difference is yeah, you use one at a different time. Yeah, fulvic acid is finer particles of, of humic acid, basically. It's just a, a distinction between particle size. So fulvic acid is like uh, the it's best product. humic acid, basically. Right. Okay. The best way that I describe it to people is, is like, it's more a description on the size of the particle than because they're both the same product. Yeah. It's just like perlite. You can get it fucking this big or you can get it tiny. Right. So the fulvic but, acid is just a more sort of a refined product. It's a smaller particle size and easier, more easily uptaken, okay. um, more easily sort of interacting in the, the soil or in the media with, with other nutrients and the bacteria. Where it's mostly important as far as I've run into it is if you wanted to try to include it in a foliar, then you of course want the smaller particles. So you'd want yeah. fulvic. Yeah. Okay. Um, most fulvic acid products though include fulvic acids. It's not like they screen out the fulvics to just give you like the larger particle sizes. It's just that they include large and small in humic acid and a fulvic acid has been refined. So it's only the smaller particles. Okay. I was using just a Umix, but uh, when they send me stuff, uh, they send me the the the, the Fluvix also. Yeah. And I'm, I'm using it upgrade. like that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate you it. It's got it. Changeable product, basically. Yeah, and I mix I mix it into all the water that I feed the plants. Um, so you can certainly mix yeah. it into all of your water with your your plants. There's. Oh. It's not very easy to overdose um, with it. It doesn't interact. It doesn't raise the EC or the adjust the pH much. Um, so there aren't very many concerns other than, you know, you have to buy this stuff. Yeah, the stuff. Uh, RV filter, that takes out chlorine, but not chloramine, right? right? So he'd still have to use something, whether it's a humic acid or, I mean, if he has these campin, I would do one experimental plant where you try these tablets if you've already got them. And it works to get rid of chlorine and chloramine. Try it to treat like I don't know five, yes, 10, be, 20 gallons of water versus not doing it or using fulvic acid in another test batch, which like could be your five plants if you have a six. You're in Southern California, so say you have six, five of them you give water with humic acid or fulvic, whatever, and then the other one you give these Campton tablets and see if that one has a negative reaction because the only thing is if these plants are outside and they're in the native ground then i would be worried about what i'm putting in the native ground that's a good but point if it's in a pot yeah okay but even that the pot if it's dripping out onto the native ground still i would you know well they use it to it's make a product beer. used for beer yeah, yeah. the only yeah, thing that, that i don't know beer. shit about it but the only thing that gives me any kind of pause is the sodium yeah 
Um, well, and California has, has clean water you. laws, and and there's an, a clean water act where you can't just dump shit right. into the. So you do have to research that and then find out if you're legally even allowed to put it into your water table. Um, I mean, I can't just poison the entire system like that. <laughs> this really America. Not to Matthew. Well, <laughs> it was unfortunately the case for a long time in Humboldt County. Not to call them out, <laughs> but for a long time they were just using lots of these nutrients with no conscious thought about what was going into the water table and a lot of them got heavy fines i mean they were able to pay them because they made millions of dollars in the marijuana market for our cannabis market for many many years but mm-hmm. it did probably uh i don't know if it's irreparable damage but it caused a giant stigma among cannabis growers in that area and a lot of them are still working really hard to break it and closing loops and growing sustainably or organic no-till all that good stuff okay. It's uh, actually on really on, on forest land too up there. Um, yeah. Oftentimes on their private lands, um, the issues were more mitigated because the owners had a, a longer term sort of investment in each individual plot. Um, but yeah, I lived up in, in Humboldt for a few years too. I'm familiar with those grows and their issues. And it's definitely unfortunate because a lot of people do try to grow, like you were saying, Jack, organically and, and, and very uh, sort of sustainably. Um, but ironically, there was also people who were the exact opposite and, you know, that reputation precedes them. And yeah, and a lot of damage too. like, as, as a Californian, I'll also say, like, I definitely care about the environment quite a bit. And, uh, I resent people who, <laughs> who destroy wantonly with, um, runoff like that and have no concept of the potential consequences of that sort of a thing. I had lots of conversations about that actually recently while I was up on Palomar. Yeah, the gorilla grows left messes, you know. And still do. Yeah, if you guys are out there doing that kind of thing, be responsible, take care and don't don't sort of give bad reputations to all cannabis farmers. (laughs) I'll say this, some of them are not out there by choice i know just from where i live here in san diego that some of these people get picked up they're down and not to pick on mexico but i just know that this has and does happen still people will go in for a job interview and then they get taken in a truck and say hey the cartel puts a gun to their head and say you're going to go grow these plants for us in a national forest in the u.s if you ever want to see your family again so that does happen they're over here against their will doing something to make money for a group that they would rather not be working for at all. So it is unfortunate in some circumstances, but the people that do have the conscious free will and choice to be out there, just throwing plastic bottles and shit all over the place, like try and do your best to get your act together as much as possible if you can, because we all have one planet to share. And even if it's your own lot, I mean, or near your, where you live, why want to ruin your local ecology? environment the runoff issue is real um the the using water issue is also real within a lot of these communities now um tapping into to water sources illegally and other things like that um but yeah even electricity i mean a lot of the ones that were doing it indoor were stealing electricity for a while and that has implications of taxing the grid and and leading to fires and things like that. So being as ethical and uh, responsible with our cultivation as we can is really important. On the flip side of that, we've been growing plants under prohibitionary regime. That's like thrown us in jail and locked us up and everything else. So, uh, you you know, there is sort of a reason for having made questionable decisions, but I think we always have to 
to try to make the best decisions we can going forward. Yeah, and hypocritical stuff like uh, saying that you need to watch water for someone that's trying to make a little bit of money when you got millionaires on golf courses. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's a little bit to both sides of that, but obviously you should be doing everything you can to be pretty pro-environment. Yeah, most yeah, of as this- I was going to say, as a security issue, when I was, when I gorilla grow, I never left anything because like, you know, people will see the garbage, like whatever you leave, it's going to stand out, you know. That seems really practical to me. I agree with you. Yeah, I don't understand why. Especially if you find a good spot. And back then it can be traced to you. You don't want to leave any trace so that you can use it. Nothing, like no human, right, exactly. You want to leave the place better than your phones. In your early days, Tao. You could trace it back to a hydro, like if you got it from a hydro store or even like a gardening center and they yeah. saw whatever bottle out there. Hey, there's only six stores in this area. The, you know, detective or whatever could drive around and ask, hey, who bought exactly. buys these bottles? Uh, I need a list or whatever. And they start pressuring the store and the store gives out your name. And then guess That's what? They're exactly. fucking tailing you and following you out to that grow. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but that was how it used to operate. So it's uh, really yeah. changed a lot in a lot of places, thankfully. I'm sure they still operate uh, like that in many places. Yeah, you should, yeah, a lot of places you should still be operating like that. And, you know, people, uh, my garbage too, like even indoor grows, you know, I I never put, I used to never put anything. Now I really don't have anything that much. But like empty advanced nutrient bottles, shit like that. I was paranoid about that as well, you know. Oh, I totally agree. I'm always paranoid about that. I'm old school paranoid guy just because I grew up in the whole black market area. I've been doing this for 25 longer years. And uh, I got a lot of friends that used to do a lot of crazy stuff. Like they'd have their mom go to the grocery store for them, leave their stuff over at her house for a couple of days. There's, there's, there's ways around that, but yeah, it's funny how it's completely different. There's shows like this, but back in the day, man, that's what everybody did. Being paranoid and using a flip phone you got from Walmart for one month and throwing it away and getting another one. There was a lot of these guys (laughs) did back in the day. So, <laughs> no, man, I knew somebody who had a relatively large, uh, you know, thing happening and he that his crew actually got a car registered in a dead person's name and oh. they would they would drive they would drive to a parking uh, garage, switch cars, take that car, go to the grow, grocery store, get what they needed, go back to the parking garage, flip it to the other car, make sure, you know, wait a while. They were crazy, but. Yeah, you know, it's better to be, it's way better to be safe than be arrested. I'll tell you that. Dude, yeah. and I'm totally, I'm totally legal now. And I still, if one of my buddies comes over, I only got, you know, one or two buddies coming to my house. So I have one buddy come over. I say, hey, man, if I give you a couple of grams of weed, you, you take all these bulbs and dispose them for me or all these empty bottles. I'm still paranoid about putting stuff in the trash. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, yeah. like, People have I was thermal. asked to dispose of some bulbs once. <laughs> That's funny. I, um, I'm composting everything now. <laughs> light bulbs too? Not light bulbs. They have mercury. You don't want to throw that anywhere near your company. Yeah, no, don't no, do no. that. <laughs> no, no. That's a joke for everyone. Please don't uh, do that. The glass doesn't uh, provide silica to your plants. So that's that's, that's why I never have thrown away a bulb myself either. Swear to God. Mm. Never one time. And uh, but there's a I I don't want to go to the to the you know waste place and take care of it. So I had paid my buddy to go do it for me. And I'll have like <laughs> dude, I'll have like three years worth of bulbs, and I'll make him take them all. So oh, wow. <laughs> I end up giving my balls all of them also. 
one of the things about the gorilla people if they wanted to switch to like organic is sometimes the just cost of it the simplicity of it is a little easier for those types of situations where if you're not going to be going to see it every day or two uh it's more of a set and forget and hope style than like in Tao's situation where he's going out to the middle of the woods like that's a quite a tall task if you're trying to feed it with nutrients and keep the yes. AC and everything dialed in um, just keeping just making sure if it doesn't rain making sure to stay wet enough to the chore I gotta shout out Pedgy in chat. It says every house I rented in the UK had evidence of grows in the attic, plastic stapled to the beams, fan leaves here and there, hydrogen balls in every crevice. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. so fucking awesome. That's awesome. They would tear down and get the hell out of there. That was like a, their scene is still like that. Unfortunately, they set up bust out a few grows and then they get the hell out i used to when i would do my research could go to like a public library or like borders where i could look on somebody else's internet to like go on the forums i never made my own account because i was paranoid <laughs> and thank goodness because there was operation green merchant and shit like where yeah, they, they yeah. did raid people and, and bust people based on forum posts where people got seeds sent and all that shit i always avoided it because one of my mentors very early on was like stay away from all that shit like they can trace that shit back to you so i fucking and we all kind of probably have a little bit of a past traumas that are keeping us in these old habits a little bit but the nice thing is we can come on these shows and open up and i think that helps us get through and kind of we can laugh about it a little bit now uh, in most states here in the u.s and uh hopefully soon where the dog doctor is he'll be able to come on without a mask but uh, unfortunately some places are draconian with their laws and it's a uh, very sad and even in the places that have good laws they have stuff like the mcma who lobbies against home growers rights and caregivers rights and that's part of the reason spartan didn't want to say it but he's not with the uh, you know, you guys, a group like that he was working many, for. Yeah, no, there's we're still fighting on this, but just thinking about this is is always sort of startling to me about how far we've come, how quickly we've come there. Like, how long has cannabis been legal in Michigan? 2008 was the caregiver medical first legalization. What about for REC? That was 2015. Okay, so yeah, like, I mean, all of this has just been coming on in the last decade. Like the whole world yeah. has basically shifted in the last decade. I mean, a lot of stuff has shifted just since we've started this show. Yeah, I mean, a lot. So yeah, like it, it, it's interesting to really be sort of part of this process as like the unveiling of cannabis as it were, right? I mean, we all sort of get to participate in that. Absolutely, that's when... You know, especially on the activism side of it, when people see what we're up against when you're talking to lawmakers, uh, it's, it's easy to get discouraged. And that's when I start hearing mumblings like that and I'm in a group of uh, peers, I'll say, look, guys, look how far we've come. Look where we came just the last five years. You know what I mean? We're still way the fuck better off than even five years ago. So don't get discouraged. We just got to keep pushing so that we okay. keep getting progress. We can't just stop because that's when they chip away at it and just like look at this map i I will say like like doc i just gotta agree with you because when we started the show it didn't look like this there are more legal states than there are non-legal and even the ones that are non-legal at least have to have some amount of hemp because the hemp farm bill so even these states that are it says no legal program for thc yeah but they still have smokable hemp in a lot of these states and they still have uh, cbd products in a lot of these states that that was never on the table before sending seeds 100 percent legally to every single one of the 50 states of those yeah i mean less, less than half it's a quarter right yeah around there. hemp is legal all over the world now yeah or almost all over the world now. 
pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. yeah, yeah China. It's crazy, guys. It's a great time to be alive and be a, a cannabis fan. Absolutely. 100%. And uh, with that said, Spartan Grown, I know this is typically the time we got to let you uh, do your sign-outs because you got the Michigan Bros Grow Show to get on over to and take care of the dogs and yourself. So uh, any final thoughts and shout-outs? I just want to, you know, shout out the cannabis community, man, because um, I think it's really that's what's drawing people to cannabis besides the medicine of it is the community behind it. And of course, there's the bad apples, but there's not a lot of them. It's it's mostly all good everywhere. So um, as a whole, I think we push this movement forward. So shout out to everybody uh, who listens to the show and and just, uh, you know, pushes it forward by being a good example. Just that's as easy. You can, that's the easiest thing we can all do. Just be good citizens and be cannabis smokers, right? We can keep growing too. So (laughs) we'll do that. Anyway, growers love everybody. Uh, awesome show, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. And I'll, love love and I'll be on the love Spartan. show. I'll shoot. I'll, shoot I'm show. I'll be there in 12 minutes. See you guys. Peace out, Spartan. Thanks for joining, as always. And definitely check him out at the Michigan yeah. Bros. Grow Show in 12 minutes. I do have to agree, Doc. It is a great time to be alive as a cannabis enthusiast. I mean, there's more flavors going around now. Even if you don't agree with all the breeders that are out there and how they're doing it, there is more cannabis variety than there's ever been. Uh, yeah. Some people might feel like we've lost some of the old stuff, but I feel like even that has been coming back for the really hardcore preservationists, land race specialists, uh, people that are crossing land race into the new stuff and yeah. keeping it pure or, or mixing land race to other land race so that people can experience stuff that wasn't even around when you know they were alive, so to speak, like some of these 70s, 80s, 90s strains that are coming back for uh the newer generations of smokers to get to enjoy. So I totally feel we're in a good spot. I'm waiting on some amnesia seats from Amsterdam for uh, the contest, for a picture contest. I'm, I'm in just for fun, but uh, it's an old school amnesia from an old school bank. So I'm really, really excited for it, actually. Really, really excited for it. Have you ever gone Super Silver Haze? No, sir. So I, I, would, I, would suggest, <laughs> I would suggest that you, if you um, like the idea of growing amnesia, check out Mr. Nice Seed Company and get yourself some super silver haze and grow them side by side and uh, see what okay. you think. Because okay. I'll throw it out there. I think that it is um, amnesia, in my opinion, and maybe others. Um, Shanti Baba isn't necessarily one to like claim everything is his. But that is one strain that he says comes directly. It's just a rename. So he, he says it's, it's a super silver haze that got named Amnesia and got famous. Some people think it's different. And other breeders may have even called other stuff Amnesia. That's completely unrelated. Very possible. What's, too. what's the name? The Mr. Nice. Mr. Nice Seed Company. Okay. And Shanti Baba is from is Super City of Seeds Club. This no, one. he's he's uh, no, no, oh, okay. no, 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 the one I'm getting the SSSC. I'm getting. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna check the that one also. You're saying thank you. They're both old school, they started in the Dutch days. Um, yeah. Shanti Baba worked unfortunately with Ariane from Greenhouse Seeds and they had a falling out. So even though he won the High Times Cannabis Cup in 1997, 98, and 99 with the Super Silver Haze, he left uh, the Greenhouse Seed Company and made his own Mr. Nice Seed Company and took all of his like mothers and seed stock. So, and some of he worked with Neville in uh, the seed bank days since he seeds, but interesting uh, history there to all that stuff. But I just think that it'd be interesting to see them grown side by side or maybe one after another and then hear your opinions and thoughts. I, I probably biased you by telling you at least my thoughts and opinions about the history and story behind it. But uh, the plants speak for themselves, in my opinion. 
the genetics speak for themselves. And there's different phenos. Like sometimes even when I feel like a breeder is like knocking someone off, uh, people find stuff that they love in, in that person's work. So my opinion doesn't, you know, hold true for everybody, right? It's uh, everybody's got their own tastes and uh, opinions out there and they might not care about the ethics of the breeding or the morals of people taking other people's work and, and changing names and things like that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to growing the plant, enjoying your time with the plant and uh, seeing what it's capable of producing for you and uh, enjoying that medicine. Thank you. Do you have anything else other than the runs? You said that you just had a harvest. I'm sorry, we couldn't get you on uh, the last couple of weeks. We we're really engaged with our conversation. It's cool. I have all my autos drying. So the if, if you can pull up my, my Instagram on, on the sharing uh, thing, you can see the Bruce Bunnell auto. She turned out beautiful. I mean, I'm, I'm in love with this auto, auto world. I was not expecting this good turpin profile in auto flowers. And uh, I mean, I'm in love. The, the watermelon candy turned out really good also. Is that, that, yeah, it's that one. She turned out beautiful. I can't wait to try it, but I still have a month at least. <laughs> nice and frosty. It's got a good uh, little touch of purple there. Yeah, she, she went She went really nice. And again, they said it was like uh, 60 days and it was not. It was at least two more weeks to get to this point. So is that but, the, like we've had a, a discussion a long time ago that some auto breeders don't include the veg time. So it, that 60 days, you can add 21 essentially for the veg and that would make it uh, 81 days or whatever. So fast, fast, blood, fast buds claims it from seed to harvest on, on the, on the packaging when selling the seeds. Oh, yeah, so I, would, I would assume seed marketing. to harvest too. That would be a dirty trick to not count the veg time or not tell you how long the veg time is with an auto. I mean, you got to do one or the other. Right, because there's like XL autos that, that veg for like months. Somebody thought that their auto was a photo uh, on a few occasions that I've talked to people where they grew autos and then they started flowering under 18 hours light, like way later, they just got huge. It took them a long time to get there. So, yeah. I'm super excited for this contest thing. I never entered a contest in my life. And the uh, precursors, I'm entering three of them at the same time. <laughs> They all, they all accept. Uh, they all accept my proposition, so it will be fun. And uh, two of them, it's uh, out of flowers, so I'm curious to see. We wish you the best of luck. I hope that the people who are listening now and afterwards on the podcast will check out Dog Doctor's page, Dog Doctor Official, and uh, maybe consider going and supporting him in some of those photo contests. If there's any sort of voting or likes on the photos matter, if that matters, then uh. You can help out the dog doctor. He's a good several times, showed off many of his plants. You just saw one that he topped on the show a few times and now you're getting finished up. So it's always cool to have that continuity of uh, awesome people from the community. So dog doctor, uh, other than the Instagram that I just plugged, or even you could plug that as well, but where can the people find you if they're trying to get in touch with you? Instagram or at the uh, Grow Diaries as dog doctor. In there is not dog doctor official. And uh, in Instagram, you can reach me anytime. I, it's a pleasure always and uh, thank you guys for having me in the show it's always a pleasure to pop up thank you Charles. thank you jack thanks Spartan. thank you everybody i really appreciate it i'm humbled by it and uh, since we're doing the this thing i would like also thank you Haptus for supporting me 
with the, the nutrients. I, I was a believer and I'm getting more and more believer. I'm in love with this uh, organic mineral world way better than a synthetic one. It takes longer for things to, to show up. It's not immediately, but uh, it gives a different pleasure to read the plant and to, to feel the plant and to, to so work it out. So you're going to till tomorrow? I am. To do you're that. yourself um, for Sorry there, uh, we had a little background sound, but uh, with that said, I say thank you so much for joining us, and I'm thank glad you. that is working for you. And shout out to uh, all, you and all the other people in locations where you know you have to keep yourself private, and you can't put it out there like some of us are able to at this point. It takes a lot of uh, you know courage, and you're doing what you believe, and, and it's a, a risk many aren't willing to take. But I think that. It's a noble one because this is a very amazing medicine and it helps so many people, even if it's just for yourself. Uh, but sure. yeah, cheers to that. It's dog a plant. Thank it's you a so plant. Much. I really don't understand it. Thank you. Someday, someday we'll all hopefully see it that way. But <laughs> big business and stuff can get in the way and, and laws. But with that said, uh, Dr. MJ, uh, why don't you give your final thoughts and shout outs? Yeah, it was a fun show doing the, uh, the chat Q&A and thanks to everybody in chat for proposing fun questions. Thanks to Dog Doctor for coming on and showing us his plants here at the end as we've seen these plants sort of growing up the whole way. Um, always fun to have you come on and, and you know, other longtime listeners, um, no, con no time callers, you know, think about screwing up that courage and, and coming on the show with us next time we put out the, the call. There's a bunch of you that have sort of followed us around for quite a while that have never come on. So this is uh, your invitation to think about doing that next time that we do this. You, you know who you are probably. I'm not really thinking about anybody in particular, but just a bunch of people. It would be fun to hear from. I always like to, to hear from the new sort of people that come in and, and have been following along and listening to us for so long. So I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. Um, we have the Grower Love giveaway going on this month for uh, Metagross Smart 8 to give away at the end of the month. I'll post the, the link for that in the chat. And um, we're in the throes of our uh, spring autoflower challenge right now. Um, and, you know, our next grow challenge at Cocoa for Cannabis is the plant training grow challenge, which starts in August. So start thinking about getting your, your grow calendars lined up for that. Um, check me out on YouTube, Dr. MJ Coco, and on Instagram. And uh, yeah, grow or love, everyone. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. And uh, I think that I just want to give the listeners a heads up next week. We're going to be talking about uh, equipment, like in your grow room, uh, from lighting to pots, everything like that. And we'll also be talking about, uh, coincidentally, you just reminded me of, as you talked, it lines up perfectly with the plant training grow challenge. We'll be talking about plant training techniques. So a little bit uh, to follow up with that as well in the second half of the show next week. With that said, next up, Noah V. Groa. Yeah, I had a great time. Uh, sorry, I missed last week. I had to get away to go to the beach. But uh, yeah, I'll be on next week. If anybody's interested in uh, finding out what I got going on, you can uh, get me at Noah the Grow with two E's on Instagram. And uh, most weeks here with everybody. And I'll see everybody next week. Definitely check him out. I reshared one of uh, Noah's posts a few days ago with that run, so it was looking killer, as always. But uh, thank you again, Noah, for joining us, and we always look forward to seeing the garden and having you on whenever you're available. Next up, Matthew Gates. Yeah, this was a pretty cool uh, episode. I always say this, but 
Um, definitely liked the chat. I liked that we got to talk some IPM stuff, and I liked that we got to talk about uh, interesting superfluous sort of esoteric stuff like um, ancient magnifying glass rock melting. Like, come on. So if you're, <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. So if you're curious to know more about pests and pathogens and plant health, you can uh, contact me on my website, xenthanol.com for professional inquiries. You can also find my educational videos on youtube.com slash xenthanol. And you can also check out the research and other sorts of information that I share on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, which is at SyncAngel. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you. And last, but certainly not least, the American one. Jack, as always, thanks for being the uh, host that you have, that you are. It's always uh, good having an anchorman. Dog doctor, thanks for coming on and showing us your plants. Always love seeing plants. And um, everyone on the panel, it's always great chatting up with you guys. It's great to see everyone in chat. Um, it's always good to see uh, a lot of discussion in there and everybody has good things to say and like stuff we miss. Like, um, I don't think it was said that the leaf septoria could be those yellow spots on a leaf. And um, yeah, it's always good getting input from everyone across the board. So it's always great being here. And I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. And yeah, um, you could get the Amy Aces at uh, dagger.garden and search Amy. And yeah, that's it, man. Have a great week, everyone. We'll check you on the next one. Thank you so much, the American one. Uh, I do agree. It's great to have such a well-informed audience that help each other out, answer questions with each other, and offer such great questions. Any listeners, like Doc mentioned, uh, longtime listeners and potentially first-time callers, we don't bite. We'd love to have you on. Uh, you know, you could come on and not show your face and just be audio. You don't have to show your garden. If you just wanted to come on and ask a question, we'd like that too. We'd love to actually hear from you even more than just the chat because uh if you come on you're guaranteed to have your questions answered as uh, the chat sometimes we can miss you but with that being said i'm the last one uh at jack greenstock if, if i properly cover my camera you can see my logo here um also jack underscore greenstock for my backup account or twitter and then uh, if you want to email me jack greenstock 47 at gmail.com if you're not on the social medias and lastly if you'd like a copy of my book uh 50 strains of green where I cover a lot of the history, kind of some of the stuff I talked about toward the end of the show, uh, 50strains.com. Still working on 50 Strains of Purple. The goal is to finish it by the end of the year. Hopefully I'll be able to hold it up. But with that said, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you all will go check out the Michigan Bros Grow Show after this. It's starting right now. So I'm not going to keep rambling too long, but peace and love, everybody. Jack Greenstock, signing out. Grow with love, everyone. Grow with love. Thank you, guys. Grow, grow. See you all next week.